0: Greetings and welcome to Sisterly Soul Stories. This is Erica Dodson and I am so grateful that you decide to join us again today. If you missed last week's episode with Shiarra Robinson, I encourage you to listen at your leisure. But I am incredibly excited about the guests that we have with us today. Now, as my great-grandmother would say, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, I decided to flip the script and do something a little bit different. Now, I firmly believe that the pandemic came to awaken us and to shake us, not only in the way that we govern ourselves personally, but also in how we work and how we shop, how we communicate with one another, but also most importantly, how we worship. And over the past two years, we've seen women cultivate spaces in the church where they were not always welcome, from preaching to pastoring, to leading virtual Bible studies, and even to podcasting. And so I wanted to pause my regularly scheduled programming to acknowledge this shift and to discuss its implications with some of my dearest, smartest, and most anointed friends who make space for women by uplifting, affirming, and giving opportunities. So today I'm kicking off a series called What About the Women? with Reverend Blake Wilson, pastor of the Crossroads Bible Fellowship Church here in Houston. He is a husband, father, mentor, student of the word, and man of God. And I am elated that he has decided to join us today. So Blake, welcome to Sister Lisa's Stories.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, anything for my classmate and my friend, Erica Dotson, who I admire so much. And uh, remember you in class, when we were in class together, serious and focused and <laughs> just trying to finish that degree. But I knew that you were focused and headed to do some great ministry. And so I'm just amazed. and. When you asked if I could participate, I'm like, whatever Erica asked, I do. So I'm glad to be here.
0: Thank you so much, Blake. You know, I was trying to remember this morning, how long ago was that? Um, right. So I started <laughs> I started DTS in 2004. So 18 years ago, yes. 18 years ago.
1: I, I, I started in 2002, ended in 2007. And I was like, uh, it's 20 years ago for, for me from when I started, so it's, it's crazy, so. It's crazy,
0: <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so again, thank you so much for being here. Everyone that comes on though, before we begin the heavy work, I always like to know how are you doing personally and what are you doing to care for yourself during this uh, incredibly difficult time in our world?
1: Well, actually um, since 2020, uh, the pandemic, was really not as stressful for me. I got to spend a lot of time with my wife, my kids, uh, as they kind of did, you know, virtual education. Um, We set up stuff outside in our backyard. Um, We had Batman and Nets. We had Connect Four and Bean toss, and just all kinds of stuff that we did outside. And so we had a lot of fun outside as a family. But 2021 uh, was my pandemic year. It was my stressful year. We had some things happen in the ministry that really, really, I would say, as we got back to ministry and moved from being in the pandemic era to actually going back physically. Mm -hmm. uh, Our church is a church that simply says, we teach people the word of God and we touch them with the love of God. So it was a real deep transition for us to not engage people uh, physically when we got back together to be socially distant. So that was just an odd space and place for us. And then I would say that a minute as a ministry that's always moving and doing some things, uh, I would say that we were kind of in a frozen era, like we were frozen in the meat market. So it was like, how do we come back out unthaw and really minister to the people the way they need to be ministered to? And so 2021, I actually took a, for the very first time um, in 15 years of ministry, I took a three-month sabbatical. And Mm -hmm. so I was off November, December. Uh, in in January. And um, it was a real unique time. Uh, It's been kind of a very interesting season for me. Uh, During that time, I kind of focused on the physical, the mental, the emotional, uh, Mm -hmm. spiritual things. Uh, From a spiritual perspective, read Psalms, uh, read 1st and 2nd Samuel, Ruth, uh, just some books to just refresh myself. Also tried to work out a little bit before I injured my back again with my sciatic nerve issue, but also on the emotional side, my wife and I went and did some counseling together and uh, and then I'm scheduled to do some own individual counseling. And I think that it's uh, for me personally, uh, I've I'm, my wife's a PhD psychologist, so I'm very comfortable with counseling, but I think that there are a lot of pastors right now who are saying, hey, we need to do something for our own mental stress and duress that's going on right now, so.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing so transparently. And you're absolutely right. Um, Folks in the church, pastors, men um, don't always see the relevance or the need for Christian counseling or just psychological counseling because they feel like it's a betrayal of the relationship between them and God. Um, You know, we always think, you know, we take everything to the Lord in prayer. And if we go beyond that with worry or anything of that sort, that there's a challenge of our faith but I think that this time has really forced us to dig deeper and figure out psychologically what we need most.
1: Yes, the funny thing is when my wife and I met, uh, I was at Wheeler Avenue, she was at Brentwood and we did some premarital counseling. She said, let's do premarital counseling. And I was like, counseling? This is back in 1994. Yeah. And I was like, ain't nothing wrong with a brother. You know I mean? Like what's wrong with me? We need to do some counseling. And we actually took a five week class at Wheeler Avenue uh mm-hmm. with their marriage ministers and then we took a 10-week class of covenant marriage at Brentwood and it got us 15 minutes of being in with other couples and the leaders of marriage ministries and we got into some in-depth things and so from that moment on I literally understood the value of even when you think that you're well how there's so mm-hmm. many things that you can learn <laughs> when you mm-hmm. think that you are well. you know much less be in a situation where you know that, you, that, that you're not well so yeah
0: yeah And, and, you know, being kind of forced inside during the pandemic, you have to kind of do some introspective things, you know, you have to think about life and why you are where you are. I know it's very difficult for me because I'm used to being on the go all the time and then just being shut in. I had to deal Mm -hmm. with a lot of things, the death of my father, the end of my marriage, um, the loss Mm -hmm. of opportunity and time, which everyone, you know, dealt with. And that was very difficult for me. I began to have some mental health struggles, something that I never ever thought um, would be my lot, you know, but just Mm kind of digging deep into therapy, as you say, podcast, meditation, something I never took the time to actually do. It really made a huge difference. And just Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. And just watching uh, the news and what's going on in the world today, uh, on top of um, all the personal things you might be dealing with, the weights are so heavy, you know, and so you have to do something.
1: Well, I've so many friends of of mine, pastors, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, are in counseling now, like who never would have thought they'd be in counseling. And I think that there's so many stresses that we went through during that time. Um, You know, I'm a I'm a straight up extrovert. And, you know, people will know Pastor Blake's talking to people, hugging on people, loving on folk. And so it was rough for me to not be around my members. And not just that I could do it virtually and we had all the technology to do that, but to preach to a screen and you know, and then not be able to be with the members and talk to them and see what they were going through. It was, that was difficult for me to actually conduct some funerals that were not COVID related, even during that time to where you can't go down and hug the people, those basic things that we do at the end of each funeral. And, and you've got to kind of conduct the funeral and be distant that really was was a rough space for me. Mm-hmm.
0: And being away
1: from members for 13 months was what was difficult as a pastor, so.
0: Yeah, I think the renewal for me also came in spending time with family, as you say, um, because yeah. I lived away from my family. I'm from Los Angeles originally and I've been in Houston 20 years. And so the, all, most of my family was in LA uh, prior to COVID. And just to be able to go and spend uninterrupted time with everyone, really, really uh, refueled me in a way that I didn't even know I was empty. Yeah. And that's the thing about ministry, right? You're always giving out. You're always pouring into others. And during this time, you need to really be able to find ways to replenish yourself.
1: Well, one of the things that that I, I do even now is there are about seven brothers that we get together every Sunday night. And we just get together and we'll go on somebody's back patio, eat watch the basketball game watch the football game and just talk and it's it's seven men and we just talk we'll talk about anything everything marriage struggles ministry struggles family struggles children struggles we, we go through it all and it's it's really been an amazing place to where we've now seen other men from the congregation gathering in similar ways as we've kind of set it past hey we need each other and it's just it's just male conversation so
0: that's awesome, having a group of girlfriends has been helpful for me as well. So yeah, I'm glad that you acknowledge that friend circle uh, that is also critical in addition to family um, and ministry. Having an accountability group is also very yeah. wonderful to have. Um, so right now, you know, we're just coming off of another deadly shooting um, and we are kind of being um, inundated with news. That is is crushing. Is crushing. Mm-hmm. You know, we just experienced one um, one fatal shooting. You know, with the elderly folks on the East Coast, and now yep. here in Texas and Uvalde, um, there was a gunman that entered a elementary school, and we are finding out more and more children are no longer with us. They got up, had breakfast, and their parents took them to school, and they never came back home. There's also a teacher whose life was lost. Um yeah. You know, I, I heard someone on the news today talk about how you can sometimes handle one tragedy, you know, Um a yeah, kind of tunnel yeah. through one big thing, but it mm-hmm. feels like it's one big thing after another. After and that. so having to minister to people during this time, what do you do to protect yourself from all this toxicity? I mean, it's, it's nonstop we're inundated with it, and you still have to love on people and, and be strength for people, what do you do to protect yourself?
1: Well, I think that one of mine may be unrealistic for others. I literally don't watch the news. And I, I mean, people may say, oh, come on, pastor, you got to do better. But to be honest, I've just, I just don't have time. As I look at shepherding a congregation, and I look at the issues, we have members who've lost husbands, we have members who've lost children, uh, during this time frame, and, I'm, and I need to be healthy enough to shepherd the flock among us, and I know that there's world news that's going on, but I've gotten to the point where I got to kind of catch the news and glimpses
0: and, yeah. and, and
1: not engage that level of toxic, toxicity, but at the exact same time, I have had to engage the issues uh, of a racial nature with mm-hmm. some really good friends of mine, black and white, uh, Pastor Steve Besner, Pastor Jason Shepherd, Pastor Lawrence Scott. Uh, we started during uh, the George Floyd Uh, incident, Mm -hmm. the organization called Houston Area Pastors United We Stand, and really try to do some work together. And let me just say this, Erica, um, we put together an eight-week series to address God on race. What does God actually have to say about race? And Steve and I uh, trained pastors, about 150 pastors, on things to say from the pulpit, basically eight weeks of scriptures. And to see uh, my good white brothers, Mm-hmm. Um, members leave the congregation over the very first week of sermon. Basically, uh, the, the the rise of ma- the rise and fall of man, and that was God creating man, Genesis one, man falling in Genesis chapter three. So all man, black and or white, whoever comes out is in sin and needs to be restored in Christ. and, and we had people, friends, having preaching the gospel, preaching the word of God. And their members were leaving the church. And that was, that was, you know, black folk wanted to hear me talk about it. And I told them it's, it's a harder time for white people than it is black people right now, because my people want to hear Pastor mm-hmm. talk about it. And so, you know, there's just so much, as you saw the level of divide, uh, polarization over politics and foolishness, and then Christian, so-called Christian, uh, organizations and denominations attaching themselves to political parties that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God and, um, and his work. And so that was very toxic. And so you, you, you try to find yourself saying at the end of the day, I'm gonna rest where God rests in the scriptures. And regardless of what a member thinks and or their money, I'm not gonna be moved by their giving. I'm not gonna be moved by their leaving. I'm going to be, I'm going to stand where God tells us to stand as it relates to being, uh, you know, the, the citizens of the kingdom, loving God and loving one another. And so uh, I've done a lot of that, but at the exact same time, have really just cut back on, on, on the news and not engaging every conversation as if I'm the Facebook pastor. I passed a crossover. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of people have gotten in these rough debates online and, and they're reading this, reading that, and arguing. And I'm like, I don't have time to do that. So.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Um, You know, that was one of the things that um, I've always admired about you and your ministry is that you are not afraid to tackle those tough issues um, and you don't shy away from controversy, which is so important right now. (laughs) So with that being said, I want to think about, or let's take us back and let's talk about young Blake and how your faith was formed and what led you to finally accept your call to the ministry.
1: Yes, ma'am. Young Blake. Go all the way back to Austin, Texas. And I have to start with my parents, uh, James and Georgine Wilson, graduates of Houston Tillerson College. Uh, Last night at the Mavericks game versus the uh, Warriors, a young lady from Houston Tillerson University sang the national anthem. So I was like, all right, go HT. But uh, my mom and dad, I call them civil rights generation uh, people. My dad entered college in the 50s. My mom did as well, pledged, alpha pledged, AKA. But one thing about my parents is that they were leaders, but at the exact same time, they lived the faith. So where you and I got a chance to go to seminary, get this so-called higher level learning, they had to live the faith during difficult times. Mm-hmm. And so my dad loved my mom. Um, while he was the, uh, the head basketball coach at Houston Tillerson Athletic Director, I saw a six foot three, 235 pound male love my five foot three, you know, 150, 60 pound mom, mom. you know, mm-hmm. I saw him care for her. I saw my dad wash dishes at home. I saw my dad full clothes at home. Those weren't women responsibilities, um, although he was coaching. And so they lived the life in front of us, although they might not have known the Greek and the Hebrew and all that kind of stuff that when they talked to us about the faith, while we were raised at greater Mount Zion Baptist Church, uh, uh, where the pastor's now Galen Clark, another DTS brother of ours, uh, when they talk to us about the faith, we believe them because of the way they lived. In fifth grade, I would say I, uh, I was saved in fifth grade. That's when I placed my faith in Jesus, uh, having heard the gospel message. I don't think that I was my faith was followed up from a sanctification andor a growth perspective until I moved to Houston under Pastor Bill Lawson at Wheeler Avenue. I knew biblically and spiritually what was right and wrong, but I didn't know how to walk that thing out with God until I got to Pastor Lawson.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so what are some of those unique things about your ministry that God has given you? When you think about as you developed and as you began preaching and leading up to your pastoral ministry at Crossover, what do you think are some very unique things about you, about your ministry and about the service you give?
1: One of the funny things is, is that going to Wheeler Avenue, being called under Pastor Lawson is that in college, I believe that the Lord was calling me. But I, like I said, was not living a life that was reflective of God's call. But I really believed that the Lord was calling me. And I was like, no, I don't think so. I went to my pastor, talked to him about it. And he said, okay, here's what we'll do. He said, you announced to the congregation that you're called this week, I'll preach, and then you pre- preach the next week. That was my senior year in college. I never went back to church my senior <laughs> year. The answer that is not a lie. I, ne- I was like, no, it can't be that. It can't be that. It can't be that. So I kind of put the whole call on, on the side. Got my little corporate, yeah, yeah. corporate America job, and I was rolling till I got to Wheeler Avenue and Pastor Lawson. Uh, was just preaching a series that, I, that it just takes me. It's called the Ministry of Interruptions. And he preached mm. about Jesus needing to go to the cross, uh, starting in Luke nine, I'll never forget it. And he took us all the way to Good Friday when Augusta Booker came in and preached the thief on the cross. And then Resurrection Sunday, he preached about the Emmaus road. And I mean, I remember that Erica, that was in 1994. And I remember that like it was today. And so, it was just so impactful to hear Pastor Lawson and and, and him just explain Jesus and and show Jesus. And so, uh, it was there that I accepted my call to the ministry. And Pastor Lawson really, uh, I I remember, I, I, I honored him and respected him so much, I went to talk to him about my call. And he asked me four questions, Eric, and he said, Blake, why was the Gospel of Matthew written? And I was like, I don't, I don't know why the Gospel of Matthew is written. And so he tells me why the Gospel of Matthew is written. He said, well, why was Mark written? And he said, this is why it was written. He said, why was Luke written? And I said, I don't know. So he said, why is John written? I don't know. So he explained to me why the four Gospels were written. And he said, Blake, he said, I don't doubt God calling you. He said, but I want you to understand. He said, you have to have something in your heart. And that's going to be the word of God to carry you through ministry. And he was the one who recommended me to go to Southern and Louisville, Kentucky and or Dallas Theological Seminary. He said, they're going to teach you the word. He said, they may not teach you to love anybody. He said, but they're going to teach you the word. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, what do you mean? They're not going to teach me. To love he said, Blake, so you got to understand that their job is not to teach you to love people. He's, if you don't love people. Then you shouldn't even go to the ministry in the first place. He said, But you're going to stand before God one day, and I want you to be well prepared with the word of God. So it was He who recommended me. And so I would say, From that, I really got engulfed in learning the word of God. And so when people have asked questions about what has been the so called success of your ministry, Mm -hmm. uh, we go to Joshua chapter one and we say, There's one thing that we're serious about. We're going to keep this word in our mouth, and we're going to preach it, and God's going to grant us success. And so um, I would say that the uniqueness of our ministry is that we realize we're here to minister to the whole man. And that is number one, we're going to teach people the word of God, but we're going to also touch people with the love of God. We want to show people Jesus and we want to tell people about Jesus. And, and so that's really where our ministry goes. My wife, as a major informant of our ministry, she always would say, if people can't feel love from us when we started the church, then they'll, they won't feel anything. Yeah. You can teach well, but if there's no love felt from. And so it was my wife informing me as a ministry partner that, hey, this is where uh, I think that we can be unique in terms of just saying, can we consistently love people? And so I would say teaching the word of God, uh, having been blessed by Pastor Lawson's recommendation, I've walked our congregation uh, over about a 11-year period on Wednesday nights, known as the Emmaus Experience, mm-hmm. through every epistle. Uh, the last epistle that we have to finish is the book of Romans. We were in chapter six when the pandemic hit. And so we stopped and, uh, and, and we'll finish that as we come, you know, as, as we're in Wednesday night Bible studies. But God has allowed us to teach, uh, uh, you know, all of Paul's epistles, all the general epistles. And so I would say the word of God and then practical programs for ministry. And I try to share with, I'm, I was a Christian education major. And so I want the church to have a, what I call Erica, buffet of offerings. When I say a buffet, I don't want the church to say, oh, we got a great preacher, but we don't have a strong women's ministry. We got a great preacher, but we don't have a strong men's ministry. So I want to see from a Christian education perspective, someone come to our congregation and say everywhere I go to eat, whether it's my children, whether it's my teenager, whether it's our young adults, we have a legitimate, solid ministry that is reflective of the pulpit.
0: Mm hmm That's so powerful that you have been very intentional about how to build your church and your ministry in a way that it meets the needs uniquely of all of those that come in through the doors. And I think Mm -hmm. it's so important, like you said, that love is the center most important next to the word of God being preached. I think that definitely makes Mm -hmm. all the difference and that um, the ministries are actually in action doing what needs to be done in the hearts and the minds of those that are connected it's rare that you find a church that has all those things, you know? Sometimes yeah. you're like, oh, I love the singing, but uh, maybe not the preaching. Now, the preaching is amazing, but the ministries really are lacking. So to hear you intentionally really think about all parts of the ministry and the way it looks and feels to those that are participants really is impactful and means a lot. Yes, ma'am. And so with that, you know, we are experiencing so many shifts in our world, but particularly in the church um, and the way we're doing ministry and who's actually leading that charge. And so, as I said at the beginning, more than ever, we're seeing women and Black Christian women, uh, especially coming out of the shadows and stepping to the forefront. Um, And so now um, there's an opportunity for women to offer healing and relief and uh, the invitation to salvation to those who hear. Um, (laughs) But as unique and as transformative, and as noble as that is, everybody ain't happy about that.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. So
0: let's talk about this tension. And, and and they're, not,
1: they're, not, they, this. they're not that happy about it in our seminary that we went to.
0: Oh, well, well, so yeah, yeah, because um, there were classes that I could not take that you all took, um, yes, and so yes. I had to really be intentional about how to set up my schedule, and not be able to go into some classes that I wanted to because of the doctor doctoral belief or doctrinal belief that they have there
1: yes 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 well you know I think that one of the things that we have to talk about is which women are stepping up uh okay. I believe that africa so let's talk african-american let's talk this melanated brown skin amen. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh from africa yeah. so I would say our women have always stepped up mm-hmm. and so the reality of where we are now in the phase of stepping up is you're now seeing women taking on some leadership roles. Uh, The thing that I'm concerned about is I'm concerned about whether or not the African-American church has a tinge of what I would call, um, please understand, quite colonial Western Christian mentality as it relates to women serving in ministry. Um, When you look at that comment, white Christian, Christian colonial mentality, Western mentality of the church, mm-hmm. the white male historically has utilized scripture sometimes to put women and or other ethnic minority groups in their place. And so to, to reinforce slavery and or to reinforce a woman's role in the ministry. And I think that as we were brought to the United States of America and were you know just always denigrated and or put down, then you now find us starting the African-American church. And so you find roles of leadership that where African-American men can be leaders and can be who all that God has called them to be to where they can't be in the general society. And therefore we enforce some of that mentality of roles uh, on our very own women. And we don't realize that we may have adopted some colonizing type ways. And so, uh, you know, in, in our very own churches. But I would say that when we look at the role of a woman from the very beginning, and I think you and I have talked about this, um, and, I, and I hope for those that are engaging us during the podcast, I want to share Genesis chapter two, uh, verse 20. Um, Genesis chapter two, verse 20. It says, the man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper suitable for him. Now, that word suitable is the word easer. Someone who comes alongside, helps, and makes sure that you accomplish what you have been called to do. Now, that's, that's Genesis 2.20, ezer. So a woman was originally designed to be an easer. When you go to De- Deuteronomy chapter 33, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 29, it says, Blessed are you, O Israel. This is God's chosen people from the Old Testament. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? A people saved by the Lord. Who is the shield, who is the shield of your help? and the sword of your majesty? So your enemies will cringe before you and you will tread upon the high places. and, and it talks about how God is the helper of Israel. As God is the helper of Israel, the same word, it calls him literally, Jehovah uh it calls him Jehovah Ezer. Jehovah Ezer. So God is Jehovah the God who helps. He helps his chosen people Israel. And when God calls himself an Ezer and or helper to um to make sure that Israel won its battles, to make sure that what God was designing Israel to accomplish, uh they won. And then he calls a woman in Genesis chapter 2:20 an Ezer when God thought of the woman, he thought of himself. Mm-hmm. And so when he originally puts woman in purposeful position in the Bible, he puts her in position the same way that the reason that Israel, excuse me, the reason that Israel won this battle is because I helped them to win it. You know, the reason, the reason that you, man, are going to be able to accomplish what God has called you to is because I gave you this woman to yeah. bless you to accomplish that purpose and role in life. So if we were to go back to Genesis chapter one, verse 26 to 28, pre-fall, the Bible says that he created man and woman in his image, male and female, I created them, and he created them to rule together. And so now, uh, because of sin, you know, we we have some, some things that have taken place, but God's original intention was for us to rule together. And I think that when we think about some things, Erica, about leading, uh, you know, here, here you are, pro- double master degreed, um, sharp sister, uh, you're gonna get your business done. Here's my wife, PhD, double master degreed. Uh, you know, she got four degrees. I'm trying, I got two, trying to get my doctorate. I'm like, hey, how can I catch up, you know? But anyway, the, the simple point being is, is that you see that the woman's role was to come alongside the man and for them to win together. And for them to rule together so now we have a lot of men that are trying to dominate in their leadership of women versus what the bible says in romans 12 lead diligently Mm
2: -hmm. when the
1: bible talks about leadership it says the gift of leadership is to lead diligently so if i'm a leader in my home as a male i lead my wife diligently with excitement to get her where she's designed to go where she gets me where i'm designed to go and we mutually work together and I know that there are times to where she's going to be a Proverbs 31 blessing to me. And I have to treat her like that and not uh, reduce her to a societal position versus a scriptural position. I think many times in the church, we have reduced women to societal positions versus scriptural position that God actually has her. Mm. I mean, Erica, let me just say this. Think about Proverbs eighteen twenty-two. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, we also know Proverbs twelve four. Uh, talks about there's a wife that's a crown to her husband and there's a wife that's rottenness to his bones. But God's Proverbs 18:22 that when you find a wife, you find a woman that's going to bring favor to you. So when we talk about women and what their biblical scriptural design by God was, she's your helper. She's a one that brings you favor. When we think about one of the number one leaders in the Bible, Moses, when Moses was called to lead God's people in Exodus chapter three, exodus chapter 4 god's coming to assassinate moses why because as a man you have not circumcised your son and so your wife sees what you haven't done moses and she steps in the way and circumcises your son and god doesn't assassinate you because your wife stepped up on your behalf let's go Mm -hmm. preach a little while so let's look at abigail and nabal nabal's a fool abigail Nabal acts a fool towards David. David's coming to kill him. <laughs> Abigail runs out there and says, hey, please don't kill him. Mm. And God, David doesn't kill him. How many times have men been saved by women? Mm. And so when you talk about a woman being your helper, your easer, before Moses got helped by his wife, Moses was helped by his mama and his sister. Before Moses got helped by his mom and his sister, there were some Hebrew women who, who wouldn't let, uh, uh, there, were, there were some Egyptian women who wouldn't kill the male babies so Moses has been helped by women his entire life let's not deny biblically what God has actually said about women and if we don't deny it then we don't put women in positions where now women are trying to fight for or force their way into something that God has already shown us man they've been amazing the whole time mm.
0: you, you you've preached several whole sermons in these past <laughs> few minutes um And so I know flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. I know the Holy Spirit uh, has enlightened you. And so for um, pastors and ministers who are opposed to the idea of women in leadership or preaching or sharing uh, in the church beyond women's ministry, why would this be such a difficult idea to embrace? Because it makes so much sense as you lay it out. Um, It would further the ministry. It would strengthen what's already in place. But why? do you think that there's such a resistance to accepting this line of thinking or this belief I'll say?
1: Well, I would say Erica, that one of the things is a misunderstanding of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I would say that people, uh, and, and I have a very good friend who loves the Lord and she's like, Pastor Blake, I got a problem with the apostle Paul. And, uh, and I was like, oh, you got a problem with Paul? She's like, yeah, I got a problem with Paul. And I said, you may misunderstand Paul. And she was like, well, what do you mean? And I said, I said, let's look at First Timothy two. So we looked at First Timothy two, where Paul talks about, you know, he doesn't want women. Well, let me read it so that we okay. so that we're clear. First um, Timothy two. So in First Timothy two, Paul is going to lay out instructions for how things ought to be conducted in the church. So the whole reason that Paul writes the book of First Timothy is actually found in First Timothy three fifteen. He says in First Timothy three fifteen. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. So That's why he wrote the book. That's 1 Timothy 3, 1 through uh, 1 Timothy 3, 15. But then in 1 Timothy 2, he begins to explain the roles of people in various roles. But he says in 1 Timothy 2, 9, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or uh, costly garments but rather by means of good works as is proper of women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with the, with the entire submissive. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but, uh, but to remain quiet. Now, let me just stop right there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When it talks about woman's clothing and her dressing modestly and discreetly, mm-hmm. well, where is Timothy? He's in Ephesus when Paul is writing this letter. Well, if you read Acts chapter 19, it talks about Diana or Artemis. She was a sexual fertility goddess. And when you read Acts 19, it says that the whole world worshipped her. In other words, she was Beyonce and bootylicious and she was J-Lo before J-Lo and all that. I mean, and so so if we understand truly what she was. So men viewed women as sexual, sensual objects at that time. Mm-hmm. And that's why they say, hey, man, we're selling these little statues of women with protruding booties and all these breasts as the multi-breasted one. That's what the statue looked like. And so it was a sexual thing and a central thing on how women was, were, were, were uh, viewed at that time. So when Paul says culturally and contextually, I don't want women to dress this way, he's saying you're more than sex and sensuality. You're actually spiritual and you're scriptural. He says, I want you to fulfill your good works. So when we think what Paul is saying, we think that Paul is telling women that you're a problem and the way you dress it and all that kind of stuff and how your body should, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is actually upgrading women and telling women, hey, I don't want you to view yourself the way the world is viewing you uh, as some IG model. No, I don't want you viewing yourself and changing yourself and all that. Do that I want you to be a woman of great works. I want you to be a scriptural woman. I want you to be a spiritual woman. Good works are the things that God has called you to do since the world began. And so I think that people look at these roles and say, Oh, Paul says he didn't want the women to teach and exercise authority over a man. And so they start talking about all these prohibitions versus the exhibitions that God wanted the woman to do, good works, the things that would last for all of eternity, uh, for them based on Ephesians 2:10. So I think that we have to look, and one of the things I say, Erica. And I thank God again for Pastor Lawson saying, Blake, go to school, because when you go to school, they're going to teach you. And when you get taught, no one can destroy the principles that we've learned. You've got mm-hmm. to do cultural background. You have to do contextual background. And a lot of people are reading scripture with no cultural, no contextual background. And they say, oh, hey, women, y'all go sit down over here. <laughs> but that's not really what Paul is saying, because it's the, exact same Paul, the exact same Paul talks about God giving spiritual gifts so as god gives spiritual gifts if he's given erica the gift to teach
2: mm-hmm. he
1: doesn't say i'm only giving men the gift to teach that's n- that's nowhere in the bible right. So then when you come to the book of titus and he says women i want you to teach you know uh, younger women so then obviously uh you know how to love their wives love their children so when you think about the woman in titus 2 3-5 through 5, that teaches younger women to love their husbands and to love their children i want you to see how big of a blessing this woman is She impacts the marriage ministry Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because she's teaching younger women how to love their husbands. She also impacts the children in the youth ministry because she's teaching women how to raise their children. So this woman stands a major role for the Christian family to be in place because she's instructing the Christian family. And so uh, now now, now that's just every woman supposed to do that. That's not a matter of whether or not I've been gifted to teach. That's that's the basic, mature, older woman seasoned in the faith that's designed to do that. So when we don't ever give women a chance to cultivate their gift, then I just sit here and watch you preach and say, you know, and shout and wave my handkerchief while you shouting. and and, and, And I don't ever accomplish what God has called me to do. We've got to empower, equip, and employ women with what God has biblically laid out for women to do in the ministry we have to know that women in the Bible are deacons. So, but in the black Baptist church, we've reserved those leadership roles historically for the black man. And, but in the Bible, women are biblical deacons. So they're, they're in leadership, they're serving at a level. And so I think that contextually, culturally, we have allowed a misuse by white Western uh, colonized Christianity impact how we in african-american church conduct ourselves towards our women who have held it down for years.
2: Hmm.
0: now now tell me what about those pastors that don't necessarily have the opportunity to go to seminary but want to get it right that may have had a previous misunderstanding based on what was passed down to them and they want to do things different like what do you say to those pastors who want to make a shift but don't quite have all of the tools they need to do that
1: I think number one, you have to be strong enough to pastor your congregation. Let me explain what I mean by that, Erica. Is as I lead the congregation that God has entrusted me with, I can't worry about what some other pastor does and what some other pastor is gonna think about me based on what I do in the congregation that God has called me to lead to. What would other brothers think about me? Will I get invited to come and preach over there if I let a woman in my church do this and that? So now you're worried about yourself. You're not worried about the flock and or the people as, a, as an under shepherd. You're worried about what some other pastor thinks about you versus what understanding what God. Now let's talk about the guy who hasn't gone to seminary. Mm-hmm. There's so much information out there nowadays, Erica, you can go to seminary without going to seminary. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I know that there's there are all kinds of resources that people can read, uh, and, you know, and study. So you actually got to read and study. You have to form philosophies of ministries and not just preach good sermons.
2: Mm-hmm. See, when
1: you were, mm-hmm. see, I think that the thing that the Christian education program at DTS did for me, mm-hmm. is it says, have you formed a philosophy of Christian education? Can you go root your philosophy, your thought process on Christian education in the Bible. And so when I can do that, I'm not worried about what another man does in his church. I'm not concerned about what another man does. Why? Because I can go right back to this Bible and say, this is why we do what we do.
2: Um, I
1: think that, you know, uh, there was a message that we taught in a series called, uh, uh, the the, the series was was talking about the uh, divine makeover. And Mm -hmm. we preached a message called the made over woman from Luke chapter eight, verse one through three. And we walked from Luke eight, one through three, and we started showing all the critical places in the gospel of Luke that God placed women doing major works. Mm -hmm. And you saw that women were there supporting the ministry of Christ in Luke eight, one through three. You saw that women were there at the cross of Christ. You saw women were there uh, when it came down to Christ uh when, when it came down to christ being raised from the dead women were at all these key critical junctures in the life of christ and his earthly ministry there were women and luke is highlighting that and so to read over that as if it's not there is to be disingenuous toward what god has done for luke to write that by the power of the holy spirit mm-hmm. so all oh, the, the bible's inspired work of god well then it was inspired to talk about that woman did that great work you know mm-hmm. and so then now how do we take?
0: what she did there and apply it in our society now in Absolutely. our true society. Yeah. And, and so what do you say to those women who, uh, maybe have gone to their pastors or spiritual leaders and shared that they felt they're called and were like dismissed or, um, you know, laughed out of their ministries that they were a part of, um, that may, you know, know they have a calling, know they have a gift, uh, but may be apprehensive or nervous about moving forward because of the poor or, yeah. um, Dis- discriminatory experience they've had?
1: You know, one of the things I think that, that women are going to have to do is, is find, and, I, and, and I, I, I hate to say it like this, Erica, they've got to find places to where they're biblically and spiritually supported. Mm-hmm. And um, they have to find places to where a pastor is comfortable with female giftedness mm-hmm. and female usefulness. Mm-hmm. See, we've got a lot of gifted women, but we just don't use them. Mm-hmm. and so they sit on the sideline and they're I'm, I'm gonna talk sports for a second their career is wasted in the pew watching the pastor perform mm-hmm. and so uh where the pastor needs to be utilizing these women in place to form bible studies to form things that are going to attract uh women marriages all these areas to where a woman needs to, a woman needs to be speaking into family um so all these areas where like you have a men's minister to church. Well, then give me my female minister to church. Give me my women's minister. And when you give me my women's minister to church, because she may make up 60% of the congregation, may make up 70 or may make up 50. Well, Well, hire me a women's minister. And watch this. When you hired a men's minister at this amount, don't hire me for less, you know? And I think that, you know, we need to plan on how we're going to minister because we're living in a day and age to where that one pastor system is not gonna get the job done. I don't care how big or how small your congregation is. And even if your congregation is not large enough to so-called financially support a woman in ministry, can you give her a love offering for the services rendered? So, so, so you may not be able to bring her on it, 60,000, 70,000 with insurance. But if you can be sincere and say, we can give you $1,200 a month you know, to support you, and we can give you a budget to get books and things like that for your women. And we can get what, what are you doing to empower, to equip, and to employ women in the ministry to make a difference? Because guess what? You don't have pastors teaching women ministry classes, do we? We don't do that. You're not going to find anywhere in ministry the pastors teaching women ministry classes. So then, who's going to teach that class? I got to go find a gifted woman and or a gifted series of women who can work together and serve and build up the body. At crossover, I would say one of our strongest ministries at our church is the Wise Women Project. It's based out of Proverbs 14.1. The the wise woman builds her household while the foolish woman tears it down. And so that's the theme verse and it's called the Wise Women Project. Our men's ministry is called the Wise Guys uh, based on Proverbs and raising up men. So we have a team of women Mm-hmm. about five or six on that leadership team who mm-hmm. are unbelievable mm-hmm. unbelievable uh, they've gone to school they've gone and, and, and i don't believe that you just have to go to school but they have you know they've got phds they got law degrees and they've gone to schools got master's degrees at moody bible institute they've gone to dallas theological seminary um, and got degrees and studied and these women uh erica the funny thing is is i teach this bible study that i talked talk about the emmaus experience well, in the summer, I'll take off and there'll be the men's Bible study, the women's Bible study. And I get to I, I have to ask a question. Now, hold up. I got one hundred and fifty people in my Bible study. Why do women got two so, hundred? So, 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 Erica, now watch this. The women at crossover will have two hundred on Wednesday night in the summer at Bible study. And, and this is not fake numbers. I'm talking mm-hmm. about reality mm-hmm. and real. I like, hold up now, I'm the pastor and I got 150 <laughs> Bible studies and the men now have 80 down there and the women got 200 over here. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what in the world is going on? Mm-hmm. And and notice that there were I mean, there were more women who came out to a women led Bible study than a women led Bible study than uh a women-led Bible study than, than the pastor doing on a regular basis. I told you earlier, well, Erica, we've been able to teach through all the books of the Bible and all that, but then when the women do Bible study, it's 200. Yeah. But here's the funny <laughs> thing. That, that was on Wednesday nights in the summer, right? But the women at Crossover were having Bible studies on Sunday. So we had an 8.30 and 10.30 service pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. The women would do these little six-week Bible studies, like the Gideon Bible study by Priscilla Shire or different things like that. And they do this this brown you know brown bag especially you know, bring your lunch and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Two hundred fifty women at at one o'clock. Wow. Look, and, you know so so are we losing something yeah. by not equipping and empowering and and employing women in ministry to where they pastor? We we love you, but we ain't trying to hear from you. We <laughs> need to hear from one of our sisters. My ego is not that big to yeah. where. I don't want my women to teach and do the great job that they do to minister to women that aren't coming here, Pastor Blake. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll watch you virtually, Pastor, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we'll watch you virtually. I'm gonna have some pancakes and some tea and all that. When the women teach, I'm coming in that bad boy. Mm-hmm. So, I think a, so really, uh, Erica, there's even what we're trying to do at Crossover, mm-hmm. changing the format to where pastor will teach 13 weeks, and then we'll have our ministry leaders teaching class. Pastor will teach 13 weeks, And then our ministry leaders, and that is a shift in past. You know, me being DTS educated, you know, I want I want to go in there and teach people the Word of God, but I also have leaders who I trust that are well equipped, well well prepared to teach male and female, and I can get out the way and let people do their stuff Mm -hmm. and utilize their gift. People can't utilize their gift if they're hearing
0: you every week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's so many questions I, mean, I want to uh, ask I mean, you. I, I, I just, I just want to say this.
1: You know, I know that people are listening to the podcast, yes. but I am not lying to you. The women will have, I'll be like, hold up, Now hold on. I guess, I guess lecture at Dallas Seminary. Mm-hmm. I guess lecture at Truett Seminary. Baylor's had me come in and guest lecture over there. And now these ladies got 200 folk on Wednesday night and I had 150, you know, and it's 80. It's double the number of people when the women are teaching. Yeah.
0: I I want you to talk a little bit in these last few moments about what women bring. And and so I I think you're kind of hitting around it, you know, the differences. They love their pastor, but there's something that a woman brings when she stands before to uh, bring the message. Talk a little bit about how the women uniquely minister in your church or just in your experience.
1: Let me just say this, Erica, all of us, are in the gospel ministry, having gone through hurt, pain, suffering, disappointment, and when a woman's talking to a woman, and understanding, and I've walked in your shoes, Eric. I heard your Bible study about miscarriage, and um, and my wife had four miscarriages, and you know I'm I'm listening to your Bible study in tears, but if, if if your wife, if my wife would have been in your class, I don't know if she'd stop running. You know what I'm saying? I think that she had mm-hmm. <laughs> been running <laughs> up past Massachusetts, headed to Canada, because yeah. there's things that you all feel and know and have journeyed through in life that Blake Wilson as a man cannot know what it is that you struggle with, been through, and the lot that you wear. Whether you're a, a professional working woman or you're an at-home mom, uh, r- regardless of what you do, um, and then trying to be married and then trying to prepare food. There, the, 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 the role to be that Titus 2, 3, 5 woman who loves her husband, loves her children and fulfills all these things in the ministry. There, there's no one who understands what you go through like you do, mm-hmm. it's just fact. I mean, and there's no one who understands what black people go through like black people go through, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no one who understands what women, black, white, Hispanic, and or Asian go through, except those women. And that's why I believe that women are coming to hear women say, I identify with you. I hear you. And I think that you all uh, have tapped into not only the scriptural and the theological, but the emotional, the mental, and you're not afraid to discuss
0: it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So powerful. Uh, My last question for you, or my last ask, is that you say a word to the women who are uh, stepping into new territory, uncharted waters, uh, beginning to move forward boldly in ministry uh, in this season. What do you say to them as they make their way to share the gospel with others?
1: Never be discouraged. Um, Mm -hmm. Never doubt your call. Uh, Never doubt what God is doing in your life. And as 1 Corinthians 15 says, uh, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't allow anything and or anyone, don't don't be disrespectful, and I don't think that you will be, but but don't allow anyone to cause you to doubt what God is doing and line it up with how God can use you and serve women in that local body, serve the church, not just women, Uh, serve uh, marriages, Uh, serve in ministry how God has called you to serve in light of your pastoral ministry uh, and you know in in what your pastor is doing in that church and see where you can be encouraged and you can be supported and you can be built up in ministry and serve to the glory of God.
0: Mm. Blake thank you so very much uh, for being here with us today and for what you shared you've certainly touched on so many important relevant topics as it relates to women in ministry. If any woman or pastor for that respect, or man that's listening would like to reach out to you or learn more about Crossover, how can they get in contact with you?
1: Well, there are various ways. Um, number one, Crossover uh, Bible Fellowship has a Facebook page where we uh, display all of our Sunday morning services. Uh, our webpage crossoverbf.com. Um, also, we have a YouTube channel. Um, you can get in contact with me at Blake row 22 on Instagram, uh, Blake Wilson simply on Facebook. Uh, but you know, I think that there's once you get there, I think that there's going to be a variety of places in that, as I call, buffet of services, to where a person can bring their family, their children, uh, their marriages. And I also think this, Erica, last thing I'll say uh, is that we have ministries like Grief Share and Divorce Care because we recognize that people are going through the loss of family members. People are going through the loss of marriages. And, um, and, and so at the end of the day, we've got to therapeutically minister to make people uh, whole in every area of life. And so that's where I would say when you come to Crossover, come looking for that.
0: Fantastic. So again, thank you so much, Blake. And I want to thank each of you for tuning in again this Saturday. I hope that something was said today that enlightened you, that encouraged you, and, and also that will keep you sane and safe as you continue to move forward in ministry. Thank you so much for all of the wonderful feedback that we've received thus far. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please let me know. If you have any questions for myself, Or for Pastor Blake, go ahead and put it in the comments section or DM me and we will respond. Have a wonderful weekend and God bless you. Thank you.